But for me, I was literally crying because I wanted to go so much, but I couldn't. I, I didn't have the strength to fight this fucking monster in my head that was like, you're gonna die and you're gonna, if you go in that hospital, you're gonna die, you're gonna get a disease and this is gonna have like all these crazy thoughts. Welcome to another episode of Couple of Lattes. I'm your host, Jacques Massey. Welcome to yet another episode. And this episode, I get to talk to my friend, Jamie Vale about OCD and anxiety. Uh, now, Jamie is an incredible producer, incredible musician, and an all-round amazing human being. But for most people, they don't understand what he's had to go through, uh, the sufferings that he's dealt with being uh, someone who is afflicted by OCD uh, in his day-to-day -day life. So in this podcast, uh, I have a conversation with Jamie as he shares some of the traits and the identifiers to look out for in your mates who may be suffering as deeply as he has in his past with OCD. But Jamie also shares some of his uh, techniques, his tips, his tools that have really helped him take control of his OCD and start to take back his own life. Uh, so I really enjoyed this podcast. It got super deep and I think you guys will too. As always, if you enjoyed this episode and you're using Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star rating and a review down the bottom. That really helps us clock the uh, algorithm and get the podcast out to more viewers. Whatever platform you're using, whether it's Spotify, Apple, or YouTube, if you're watching the video, please subscribe, follow, and share with your mates. Uh, but let's get into this episode of Couple of Lattes. It is a talent. I can't do it. I keep trying to do it. And I never told you the backstory. Last time I told you about the, um, the boom boom thing. Bro, let's I sort of told into that story because I think that's a great way to start it. <laughs> Do you want to? Yeah, all right. I need to. I need to tell you the. I need to tell you the uh, the background because last time I just said I just told you what I do and why it's funny and like what my girlfriend and I do around the house. The voice you're hearing is Jamie Vale, DJ, music producer, and now record label owner. He's also an incredible human being who suffers from OCD. And although the effects OCD has on his life are somewhat debilitating, he's also been able to harness the creativity in his mind to create music and to share music and bring joy to those around him and the people that follow and listen to his music. <laughs> and how my buddy caught on to it the other day, but you were like, so do you, do you do that because it's an OCD thing? And I'm like, no, I just do that because I'm, I'm strange and I like to just do weird shit that's funny. But <laughs> I'll tell you the back end of it right now. I'll, first, I'll tell you, okay, I'll start from the beginning. I was living in America mm -hmm. and my my buddy, one of my best friends who I was trying to trying to start a, a do a startup over there with him and um, I was living with him in his house at the time and he had a six-year-old son and his six-year-old son whenever he needed to take shit <laughs> would look at us all and be like, dad, I'm going to take a boom, boom. <laughs> and that's what, we'd, and that's what the little kid would call it. He'd be like, I've got to take a boom, boom. And everyone would be like, all right, all right, who's going to take him. So it just became like a, a thing that everyone would call a shit, a boom, boom from then on. Right. And then one day 
my buddy sent me this video, which I sent to you the other week, that link of that chick singing. And if anyone wants to look it up, it's called, what's it called? Let me hear you say boom, boom. And then it's got like way O, like W-A-H and O-H. I'll link, it, I'll link it in the description for anyone who kind of wants to get some context of what we're talking about here. Oh, my God. It's the best. And then, um, and then so that long story short, whenever I need to take a boom boom and I'm at home, I'll sing out no matter where I am in the house. I'll be like, boom, 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 let me hear that whale. And I'll just sing it out as loud as I can. And I'll wait for my girlfriend no matter where she is, like the backyard or the bedroom or the lounge room. And if she doesn't say whale, I just can't take a boom boom it's just the rule so sometimes i'll be sometimes i'll be like busting with my tail between my legs running around the house just singing it out loud waiting for a way and i'll have to find her and then and then at other times i'll sing it out and sh- she's so cute and small i'll just hear this little Way-o! coming from like a distance you gotta watch video of this chick singing and you and you'll get it so then the other day i was at this farm which i'm at now the phone's really close to my head, and um, and my buddy was on his phone. He was out in the yeah, out in the paddock with the chickens, and he sort of heard our boom boom thing because we're staying at his farm, and I'm like yelling it out in the house. And then she'll yell at Wayo, and he's like, "What the fuck are you guys doing?" And I explained it to him. And then the other day, he got a rooster at, at his farm. He hasn't had a rooster. He's just had these chickens, and he thought, "Fuck it, I'll get a rooster because then you can hear him in the morning, right?" And it just makes it a farm when you've got that that rooster going on. And then he called me up and he goes, dude, check this out. And he started singing out loud on his phone. He's like, boom, 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 let me hear you say well. And then nothing happened. And I'm like, what are you doing? I had no idea where he was. And then he sort of hung up and then he called me back. And he was like, no, 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 check this out. And then he'd sing it again. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? He called me like four times. And the last time he called me, he's like, it's going to happen this time, I promise. Just just keep listening. And he's like, boom, 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 let me hear that whale. And I just hear this rooster go, <laughs> do this massive fucking whale. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> that was like the highlight of my year. Like, it's been a pretty shit year, so. Yeah, that, that's, that's, uh, that's, a, that's an awesome freaking story, man. And that, I, I think it's kind, of a, it's kind of a good one as well to segue because, like, obviously – when we were talking the other day, we were talking about OCD specifically and the anxiety associated with OCD. So I guess you could understand why, for me, I thought that that ritual you were doing was just like an OCD thing. Oh, yeah. When I was telling you the other day, you're like, wait, so, and you're trying not to laugh, obviously, because you thought it was a problem that I had OCD thing. And you're like, so let me get this straight. You can't take a shit unless you sing out that song. And your girlfriend like yells out way and then you can go take a shit. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's just, it's just something we do because we're, yeah, we're just. Uh, I was imagining you in like in like a public toilet or something at like a rest stop, <laughs> and just like <laughs> just some random dude. You're like, hey man, I need to go for a shit, so I'm gonna say boom, boom, boom. When when you hear me say, let me hear you say wayo, can you just say wayo just so I can do a boom, boom? What a thing! The rooster topped it off. That was the best. That was the best. Yeah, man, hundred percent. I wish I, I wish I could hear that. Anyway, how, how about we kind of segue into OCD and more broadly, how, how did OCD begin for you? And then maybe just give some context because there's probably a lot of people out there, like we talked about last time, that don't really understand what OCD really is. They kind of have that shallow view of it. 
So how did OCD begin for you? Um, you're more than welcome to go as deep as you're comfortable with talking about your whole story. Uh, and then yeah. and then maybe kind of give some context to people listening as to, I guess, how serious it can affect people's lives. I guess the, I guess the easiest way to start it off is to sort of, like what you and I were talking about the other day is probably the misconception of what it is. Um, because when someone says, you know, I've been diagnosed with OCD or, or they tell someone that they they can trust or that they're close to, the general reaction that the person will get is like, oh, yeah, I've got OCD too. I always line up, you know, the stuff on my desk. And it's cool. Like people sort of generally think that it's just like a neat thing or you just want to like line your pencils up or, you know, you have, you have to have your car clean in a certain way or, you know, just, just things like that. And like, there is, there is, I guess that minute form of OCD that I, I like, I generally think that everyone would have that. I can't remember what the exact stats are, but like, I know, you know, my mum, when she hangs the clothes out on the clothesline, like hangs them a certain way, like, I've got other friends that do other things certain way. Like I, I sort of think everyone has that mild form of OCD. That's just like your own way of doing things and your own organization sort of skills. And, um, but yeah, I mean, the general misconception is that that's what like clinical OCD is just someone that likes to be like neat or line their things up. And I guess um, it's probably good to talk about that first because like OCD that's been diagnosed is, is like life debilitating. Like it's, um, it's something that, you know, and also there's many forms of it. I've been through two really bad forms of OCD since I was young. And um, I'll tell you about the first one, which, which I don't really do anymore. I sort of took me about 15 years to sort of and a lot of therapy to sort of get around it um and a lot of support from my family and stuff but that that one doesn't really affect me more and I'll tell you what that was and it was it was quite quite strange um when I was super young from as far back as I can remember uh I would be somewhere like at school uh you know and I remember the school things because they affected me a lot and you know, when you're a kid and you're when you're at school, you're always worried about what other kids think of you or if you fit in or, you know, it's it's hard to – you don't want to do anything to stand out, you know, when you're, when, you're at, when you're sort of growing up in high school and in primary school and stuff. So my thing in school was really hard to deal with because – and this is probably going to flip out a lot of um, a lot of people that are listening to your podcast that don't really – know a lot about OCD because it's quite it's quite um confronting um but my issue at the time was that whatever was most important to me in my life so whatever I was the most afraid of losing um would be the consequence of something that I didn't do right so you know OCD there's an obsession and a compulsion um, and that's why it's called obsessive compulsive disorder. So um, the obsession and the compulsion part of the first, you know, 
part of OCD that I struggled with for all through my childhood was that the thing that I was closest to on on the planet was my mum. You know, I loved her more than I loved anything. I was a mummy's boy and, you know, she kind of did everything for me. She was such an awesome mum. And I was just so, so close to her, a lot more, a lot closer to her than I was with my dad. You know, I went, I did everything with my mum growing up. And, um, my thing as crazy as it sounds was that if I stepped on a crack and you would, and it's funny because people will probably be like, Oh yeah, I might've seen someone do this at some point. And everyone's like, Oh, that's what they're doing. Well, if I stepped on a crack walking to class or on the playground or something like that, my mind and no one really knows why, you know, I've read a lot about OCD in, in my lifetime and stuff, but I mean, it's, it's it's a chemical imbalance and it's it's a lot of things but for some reason my mind would straight away tell me that my mum was going to die because I stepped on that crack now that's like super heavy and people would be like what the hell how's your mum going to die if you step on a crack there's no correlation whatsoever and as you get older you realize that there's no correlation and you're not like magical and you can't make things happen by stepping on cracks and that's even a part of the OCD course that I'm doing now is like magical thinking. That's part of the problem. You actually think that something you do can have a direct result in something else that's got nothing to do with it. That's, that's all part of the, the OCD, you know, problem and why, and, and why, you know, what you struggle with, with, with this, the disorder. But I, yeah, I'd have to walk backwards and like literally hop backwards over the crack to undo stepping on it. Because mm. if I didn't undo that action, my mum would die. Like how how uh, how wild is that to think as a kid? Like I was very young, mm. and I don't know why I was thinking it, but I was just, but I was thinking it. You know, I couldn't explain it, and that's why I ended up going to therapy and all through my childhood because obviously people were seeing me do these things. I'd be at home in my house and I'd turn a light switch on and off 25 times and people would be like, stop doing it. And I'd be like, I can't, I have to get to 25 or mum will die. Mm. And, and it was quite embarrassing to talk about that and even tell people why I was doing things. Um, I would just do them and suffer the consequence of looking super weird as a kid because my mom was more important to me than looking than looking normal or looking cool. So no matter what it was that my mind sort of told me to do, if it was like, you know, pick your pencil and up and put it back down on the table ten times or your mom's gonna die, I would do it, even though kids would be laughing or I'd be embarrassed. I'd be like, I don't care. Like I'll, uh, if that's what I believed. And yeah, that's that's what I struggled with the whole time and it took a lot of therapy and and my mom saying to me I'm not going to die just stop doing these things and like people literally holding me back from doing things you know mm. you know physically and like you know I'm going to hold your arm so you can't turn that light switch on and off and you'll see that mum won't die you know my brother may have done that you know things people just trying to but your anxiety really spikes during those times because you know, you can imagine having a panic attack because someone's holding you back from doing something and you think if you don't do it, your mum's going to die and it's going to be all your fault. So that was that was really tough growing up with that. Um, mm. with, with, with that sort of, yeah, trying to deal with that. Mm. And, um, and then I guess cut forward to, you know, sort of 
graduating high school, I somehow with all the, well, not somehow, it's definitely all the therapy and all the support from my family and all that. I, I, I got away from that way of thinking and was able to step on a crack and walk normally and not open and close doors 25 times and, and the weird thing is it was never like the same number too. Like sometimes it'd be like, hey, hop over that crack or hop back or, hey, you know, turn this on and off 10 times or, hey, do that 40 times. All these random numbers that popped into my head. It was so time-consuming and so embarrassing that I had to fulfill these compulsions um, and I couldn't, I couldn't fight it. Um, so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of therapy there. Um, and then it... And then it morphed into this, and you know, I don't know if it's because I didn't like maybe properly see the therapy through. Um, you know, I saw a lot of therapists and stuff, but maybe I wasn't putting my all into getting better because you're a kid. You know, when you're a kid and you go to therapy, you're sort of sitting there going, oh, I can't wait to get out of here and go surfing. You don't really have the control, the mindset or the, or the I guess the foresight as you do when you're an adult to be like, I must get this under control or it's going to ruin my life. You sort of like, Oh, my mom and dad brought me here. I need to just sit here and then I can go skateboarding afterwards or whatever. Yeah. So because I didn't put that like effort into it that you really need to do when you struggle with mental health, you know, you're the only one that can help yourself. You know, I went to probably like 50 therapists as a kid and they're not good. Like if you if you can't help yourself, they're not going to help you. So um, they're there as a guide, you know, and they can give you the template and the exercises and the, and show you the path. I guess it sounds a bit cheesy, but you've really got to. And I didn't learn sort of this until sort of adult therapy. I was the one responsible ultimately, you know. So um, because. I didn't really tackle it as a kid. I just sort of moved on from it. It morphed into this this other form of OCD, which is just as annoying, and it's to do with contamination. And the contamination thing is easier to hide because I'm not like I'm not hopping around or jumping over cracks or turning things on and off in public in front of people. Like, I'm not doing those things. Um, but if you lived with me, like I couldn't hide it. Like you know, I shower for for hours I scrub myself head to toe I wash my hands a hundred times a day and every time I wash them I have to do every finger uh 33 times on each fingertip 33 times up and down each finger 33 times between my fingers 33 times on the outside of my hand on the back then the front and then the side and if you can imagine doing that to every part and finger and then I've got to count the same length while it's under like hot water like it has to be super hot so my hands end up getting like you know uh red and stuff so it in some ways is more annoying what i deal with now because the consequence is kind of more unknown for me i don't have my mom there to be like i'm not gonna die just stop doing these things and you'll see that i don't die you know it's it's more like if I don't wash my hands, I think I'm going to get contaminated. But then I'm not a scientist and I don't know until I go to the doctor's next to get, a, you know, tested whether I've caught a disease or something from not doing it. So it's a lot more like it plays on your mind a lot more. There's no like real, 
there's no real answer in front of you. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it's really difficult to fight those compulsions. Mm. But, you know, I've done it. What's that? I want to, just before you continue, Jamie, I just want to take a moment to uh, acknowledge you for uh, for talking about this openly because as you and I talked about previously, like uh, this is this is a pretty big thing for you, right? Like sharing this with people and um, letting other people know about about, you know, the things that contribute to your OCD. So before we continue into it, I just want to say thank you. Um, it's really powerful what you're doing because, like you say, like um, especially around mental health, and there is so many little arms and like areas of mental health that people just have these crazy misconceptions about and they don't understand. You know, that, that person who's yelling and screaming down the street who you think is just some crackhead might be someone who's suffering from some sort of mental condition. And having more conversations like this and people like yourself who are brave enough to step out of the internal shell and say, hey, like, this is something I struggle with. It really empowers people out there who might be suffering from something similar, some sort of anxiety, some sort of depression. And also it empowers people who are out there thinking, man, my friend's crazy for stepping on 25 cracks or, you know, switching the, the lights or washing their hands so much. Um, it, it might help people listening understand and maybe do something a little bit more constructive than, uh, you know, than laugh at their friends or dismiss their friends or, or random people on the street even. So I want to say thanks for that, bro. Yeah, well, it's it's not easy, man. Like, it's like I was umming and ahhing whether to even do it in the first place because I... I don't really hang out with, you know, besides probably my best mate, sort of high school era where I used to do that other form of OCD. So everyone that's in my life now would only, uh, I guess, see me for who I am now. And no one knows, like I, 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 like I told you the other day, my parents and my family know because I, I lived with them. My girlfriend knows, my best friends know, and housemates that I've had knows. But no one that I've ever worked with in professional roles or at, you know, jobs that I've had or my own business dealings. No one has any idea about the stuff that I do because no one follows me into the bathroom. No one has a shower with me. No one, you know, and it's very, it's easier to hide what I do now because, you know, I can, like I said, as long as you're not living with someone or following them into the bathroom, they won't see the rituals that I do to like, for my, you know, compulsion so that I feel so that I can reduce my anxiety and, and yeah, so it was a, it was a tough decision to even talk about it because no one knows about it. Like everyone's, you know, I've got friends I've been friends with for 10 years that'll, you know, if, if I post this on my Facebook, we'll listen to it and be like, what the fuck? Holy you shit. know, <laughs> yeah, I never fucking knew that. I so get it now. <laughs> it, at first I was like, like, I guess, yeah, reluctant to like, put it out there but I think like what what got me over the line to talk about this was when we had our actually two things like first I'm doing this course now that we, that we could probably talk about now or later and um, at some point in Melbourne you know when I was living in Melbourne a year about a year ago um, I was really struggling I couldn't find any therapist that could actually like that I was bonding with or that I was like, you know, 
and my anxiety was really, you know, I was really struggling with that. So I, I spoke to a friend of mine who's a, who's a, a therapist as well. And she's, she's really good. And she said, you know, while well, I can see how much you're struggling, I'm going to, I'm going to try and help. But she was also having a baby at the time. She was just about to have a baby. So she's like, you know, I'm here and you can call me anytime and we can go through this together and I can guide you and I can, you know, I'm here to help. But also what I recommend is maybe you do this course, which I'd never heard of. And she put me onto this course called This Way Up. And um, I sort of went, okay, cool. And, and, and it was like I've spent so much money on therapists. They're not cheap. And I found out about this course. It was like 60 bucks. It's nothing. It's like half a therapy session. And it's a three-month course that I could do in my own time at my own pace. And I was like, wow. And, and she said, yeah, you know what? It's been put together by all the best doctors in the country. It's been funded by the government. And, you know, generally I think things that are funded by the government, they'll, they'll put a lot of, uh, what's the word for it? They'll put a lot of like um, things in to back that up so that there can be no, I guess, false claims or anything you know they need to make sure that's it I, they, cross, they so, cross their t's and dot their i's essentially make sure it's a, a finished product yeah i mean you're playing with people's mental health here you know <laughs> like you can't just put anything out there so this thing was properly organized properly documented and pro properly put together by all the best you know mind doctors of the country and it's not only about like ocd it's about anxiety it's, it's there's courses on there for depression there's, there's courses for a lot of mental um, health issues. And, you know, a couple of people that personal friends that I know that struggle with different mental health issues than I do, I noticed that there was courses on there for them too that might help. So I've put a few of my friends onto it and and they've, they've seen some results. So I think a big thing for me deciding to come on here was when I was doing the course, I read a specific thing about OCD that was like so pinpoint accurate for like how I feel and, and what goes on inside my head. And it's funny because I never, I never really thought that people would have the crazy thoughts that go on inside my head. And that's why you don't want to talk about them. You're like, wow, no one on the, on the planet would think what I'm thinking right now. It's super embarrassing. If I tell someone that they're going to think I'm, I'm crazy. Um, and when I did this course, it said, do you think blah, 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 blah will happen if you blah, blah, blah. And, I, and, and these things, I, as I read them, I was like, holy shit, like <laughs> there's, other people, there's other people on the planet that obviously think the exact thing that I'm thinking because it's in this course. Otherwise, why, why would they have written it in here? Like that is, and it's so crazy, like that they've written that exact thing that I worry about, which I thought was like, just me and I was super embarrassed about it and never wanted to talk about it because you know of that reason I was embarrassed and I didn't think anyone out there was was thinking that so when I read that I kind of felt relieved in a way I was kind of like wow I'm not the only one that that thinks that did there's you, other people did you feel did you feel kind of understood and like you could relate to people yeah, I kind of like, obviously, I don't know 
who who the people are that that think that because it could be anyone, but they wouldn't have written it in that um, in that course if they hadn't been you know if they hadn't interviewed people and found out that they're they're thinking that exact thing and and like I won't go into what the things are but they're very um they're very out of the ordinary they're not like anything you'd think anyone on the planet would think but when I read that I was like okay well that just made me feel a lot more at ease and a lot more like it kind of made me feel better about what I struggle with Mm. and not in a way where you're like oh yeah there's other people struggling not in that way in a way that I just felt a bit more like you said understood and and like I if there's other people going through it, then there's there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know, you know, like I'm not alone, and that's why I wanted to talk today. Like I know you asked me, and I was thinking about it, and that, I think that's like the primary reason why I decided to sort of put it out there to the world, um, because it was it was a very pivotal point for me to read those things and be like, if somebody today can see or hear this podcast and think holy shit i used to think that way too and i thought i was the only one on the planet and they can feel better about themselves and feel like they can win and they can get through it then it's worth it and that's i think yeah if that makes sense i know it's very winded but yeah bro that makes total sense i i feel like um first of all once again yeah i applaud you for doing this because you're hitting the nail on the head like uh, i i haven't suffered uh long term from any sort of like chronic mental health issues. I went through a deep depression at one point. And I guess from my own experience, like being able to relate to people and to feel understood and to understand that people look at you not as being like this weird, crazy person, but just they look at you and have a conversation with you, understanding um, what you're going through. And they, you know, like that feeling of being understood is so powerful for people suffering from any sort of mental health issue, regardless of whether it's anxiety or depression or OCD or bipolar. Um, so I applaud you for that. Uh, and, and with that kind of that, that feeling of being understood, I remember when we were having our conversation the other day, you, you talked to me about a situation you were in uh, packing your bags and how like certain situations if people don't understand the reasons why you're getting upset or angry or anxious, I guess when they don't understand, they tend to, um, I guess, jump to conclusions and react in a certain way that ends up making the situation worse. So I was, I was wondering if you could share that story and maybe kind of uh, tell it from your point of view. Yeah. So you would have seen me walking around just then. <laughs> I was sitting, I was sitting in the perfect, um, the perfect spot out in the garden and my my phone was on like five percent and warning me and it was going to cut out and i was like oh i really want to do this out here it's so much better to talk out here in the in the in the garden but now i'm sitting in the room because i've got to plug my phone in while we talk so that's why i was walking around trying to trying to find the uh the adapter so we didn't didn't run out mid um mid call here so yeah, what we talked about the other day was I th- there was a es- essentially yeah, okay. you were you were packing a bag for a trip and you had like a certain time that you were meant to be leaving. Yeah. 
because certain things happened and triggered your um, your OCD, it, it ended up delaying it. Maybe you could give it some context because I, I remember you saying that as part of this course, there was certain um, uh, anxious moments yeah. that you had to keep repeating in order to overcome that sort of anxious feeling. So maybe maybe we can give it a bit of context that way. Yeah, I'll get. I'll, well, I'll give everyone some context on the story. I know the exact story, but I was trying to think of why I brought it up, and I, and I remember now why I brought it up, and it's because I was trying to explain to you um, about the two different sides. It, it it sounds crazy, but in my own head, there's like two versions of me. There's there's me who is Jamie Vale and everything that I believe and my, you know, my core, you know, way I live and how I treat people and how I want to be uh, seen and, you know, my core beliefs. And then there's OCD, Jamie, who is a complete fuckwit, who I fucking hate. And if, if it was, a, you know, I'm not a violent person, but if OCD Jamie was standing next to me, I'd beat the fuck out of him. Um and that's what I guess is the biggest struggle with with what I go through is uh, the other day I was telling you about this there's certain things that I'll do sometimes which I which I don't want to do and I don't mean to do and they they might give someone a perception of like who I am and it might be something that I do um to my girlfriend or around my girlfriend and, you know, anyone from an outsider would see that thing and be like, what a fuckwit. Like, why did he do that? Because they don't understand what's going on inside my head. And luckily she does. So she's so like, um, she's so, I guess, good and supportive because she knows like that it's not me that's doing those things, not the true me, not the, you know, the, the me that she loves. It's the, the side of me that I'm trying to, you know, um, beat up <laughs> and get rid of uh, mentally. Um, and that side of me that I want to beat up and get rid of is like, yeah, like I gave you an example the other day of my girlfriend is very punctual. Um, she she wants to get to places either early or on time. Um, it's very important to her. You know, that's one of her her core beliefs. and with me i struggle a lot of time because i have the intention of being somewhere with her and then all of a sudden something will happen and not every time but sometimes something will happen to push me to push my anxiety to the absolute peak mm. and i won't be able to cope with it in that moment and we won't be able to move on and get where we need to be at that time because i'll essentially have a, a meltdown or a breakdown um, and a good example is what I told you the other day, like we were supposed to come actually where I'm, where we are now on my friend's, my friend's beautiful property was supposed to come here and stay with my, my, my best mates. And, um, she was like, okay, well at two, I'll do this and then I'll go and do that. And then I'll do this. And then at two 30, you can come into the, into the room where we were and you can pack your stuff and then we'll be gone and we'll be in the car by three. And I was like, yeah, that's easy. All my stuff's washed and it's ready to go. And I'm already ready. All I've got to do is put it in my bag and we can go. So the intention was like, yeah, we're out of here at three. And I know how important it is to her. Mm. 
but what happened and this is this is such a good example of like things that happen and that I that are sort of that make me look like a dick but I'm not meaning to do them is I went to pack my bag so we could get out of there by three but my jumper and this you know sounds silly but my jumper was uh draped over my bag and it's because I freaked out about what my jumper touched like a couple of days before and I really freaked out about something that it touched that it was dirty to me um and again to someone else wouldn't be the same and but you know this is part of the OCD I flipped out and couldn't touch the jumper so I got it off a few days ago and then showered and then sort of decontaminated myself to to bring down my anxiety and I, I totally forgot when I said to her, yeah, I'll come in at 2.30 and I'll pack my bags and we'll be out by 3. I totally forgot because I wasn't in the room where my stuff was that my jumper was draped over the bag that I needed to pack. So I looked at the bag when I got in there and straight away I knew. I was like, oh, God, like I, I can't, you know, and then the anxiety starts because I'm like, I can't be out of here by 3 and then your anxiety gets worse because you know how important that is to her. Mm. So <laughs> straight away it's elevated and then we used to do these things where, if we're in tough situations like that, I could be like sort of trick the monster in my head and I could be like, okay, I'm going to look away or leave the room and you get some disinfectant wipes and you, I won't watch you because if I watch her do it, I'll be like, no, that bit and that bit and use 10 more wipes and I'll be freaking out about it, mm. decontaminating the whole bag. So we used to, I used to be able to try and trick my mind and say, I'll sort of leave the room or look away and you can wipe it down as you know quickly and then out of sight, out of mind, and I'll assume that it's fully decontaminated and I'll trick my mind into bringing my anxiety down that way. But ever since doing this new course, part of the course was to bring your partner into it and share information. And there's, and there's information in the course specific for family and partners to read about what you're going through and how they can help. And OCD is a trickle, not trickle, tricky issue for family and friends to support because when you see someone that you care about or you love struggling to do something and when I say struggling I mean like um they're they're like you know almost in tears and shaking and uh <laughs> the analogy you know that I was using when we we're having a laugh with you the other day it was like you know your <laughs> what <laughs> what's that your palms are sweaty, your, your legs, your oh, arms yeah, spaghetti. There's vomit on your sweater already, mom's spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, call me Eminem because that's what happens when my anxiety reaches like, you know, all those things like your, your arms and your legs feel like, you know, they're going to collapse, your palms are sweaty, you start to sweat. And I'm not a sweater, but like if anyone that's experienced like, real anxiety will know that it's like the most horrible feeling and all you want to do is get rid of it so when people that love you see you struggling and shaking and and having a panic attack they want to help and whatever you're struggling with for example the bag generally the person that loves you will be like okay cool give me the bag I'm going to wipe it down because I don't have any problems with contamination and I don't think it's dirty because I don't have OCD so I'm just going to do it quickly and we can get out of here and that's what used to happen a lot with my partner and I and also my mom and it's a quick fix thing that everyone would do because they love you and they don't want to see you in in that situation you never want to see someone you love freaking out like you know um so they would help 
you in in that way but the toughest thing about this course was it was like you know to to loved ones and to partners there's these experiments you have to do and there's there's these exposure um parts of the therapy which say that you can't keep enabling um your loved one and your partner and the more you enable them the worse their anxiety will get in the long run and I can tell you straight away, like if she had to just wipe that bag, we would have been out on time. She would have been happy. I would have been happy because my anxiety would have been down. And that day would have been unreal because it all just gets fixed. But your your mind doesn't learn to cope with things and your mind doesn't see that over time the anxiety reaches a peak, you know, that where it skyrockets, but it's got nowhere else to go. And that was the other analogy I gave you during our pre-chat the other day was that if you can imagine a, a graph, uh, remember I was telling you there's like an X, there's an X axis and there's a Y axis like this. So there's a horizontal, there's a horizontal and a vertical. The, the the vertical is your anxiety, and the horizontal, and this helped you understand it a lot. So I'll, I'll sort of explain it again. The horizontal is your is time. Yeah. So it's the time that you that you have the anxiety, and if you draw a situation like the other day with the bag as soon as i saw the jump the contaminated jumper on the bag and knew what i was you know what i was in for mm. it it went like this and it started going up and up and up and then when she said you know what i've been doing this course with you and i've read the parts that said i can't enable you because it'll be a short term fix and we'll both feel great and we won't have a fight today because i'll be on time and you know she'll be on time and i won't be pissing her off and all that sort of stuff but in the long run the anxiety and the and the overarching you know mental disorder ocd will get worse because you won't have a chance to sit with the anxiety and see where it goes and see what happens over time Mm. and that's where a lot of people with um ocd including myself and a big reason why it never worked for me in the past was i always flipped out when it got to the exposure therapy side of the um of the either exposure therapy with a therapist, like when I was seeing them one-to-one or in a course or whatever I was doing, I would back off because I'd be too scared. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine like the, the simplest way to put it is imagine you're scared of spiders, like so scared of spiders that if you went near one or you saw one or you even saw a picture of one, mm-hmm. you would like get sweaty and shake and have a panic attack and like feel like you're going to pass out. And so someone tells you, okay, well, the way around that is I'm going to just cover you in spiders. Um, You naturally always, I always backed away at that point in my therapy and went, I I can't do it. Like, I'm going to, I'll die. Because your anxiety spikes, right? Like, your anxiety goes to all-time highs pretty much. Yeah, I I would just say to therapists, like, I'll have a heart attack. Like, I can't, I, I, I cannot deal with that much anxiety in one go. And that's where this 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 x y axis that I'm I guess explaining now comes into play because you learn in this course that I'm that I'm doing now it has some good ways of of explaining it and and you know you learn that your anxiety keeps going up and you keep going up and up and up and to a point where it can't get any higher you literally cannot get you'll either pass out or you'll you know it just can't go anywhere else. So what happens is if you if you can somehow over time learn to sit with it and watch it go to that point and some, you know and this is not easy and I'm still 
struggling with it to this day. Like I'm, I'm in the middle of this course right now. And um, part of the course is thought challenging exercises and experiments, right? And these experiments are these exact things. It's like, okay, this is what I'm most afraid of next time it happens. I'm not going to go wash my hands after I touch this thing, or I'm not going to shower for four hours. Um, and it's, and it sucks. It's really hard, but you see over time when it reaches a peak and it can't go any higher, the longer you sit with it, the only natural thing for it to do is to start flattening. And then over another day, it'll start going down a bit. And then over a week will go down. And then over a month, you'll be like, Oh yeah, I got through that. And that's the only way to, um, to deal with it. I'm doing it right now. There's stuff that happened to me last night, staying here at my friend's house, which would have made me shower for a couple of hours. He's on rainwater and that's why it's good for us to be here because it's on a farm. And he literally, if he hears the shower going for more than like a minute, he'll like bang on the door and scream at me because it's like the water for the whole house. Mm. So it's kind of like being forced. I like being here because I'm forced to like face my, my fears and I'm forced to reach those pinnacles of anxiety where I can't, like, you know, I, I, I've got no choice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, the, that for me, that's what always, like, stopped me from getting better mm. is I would go to a therapist for, like, six months and then they'd be like, okay, cool. Now, next week, we're going to start exposure therapy. We're finally here. We've been working together for six months. And, you know, this is the last part of the cognitive behavioral therapy, which CBT is what they use to, to treat, you know, OCD and anxiety. And, um, they <laughs> guess who wouldn't show up next week, you know, <laughs> because I was too scared. I couldn't do it. I couldn't. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's what was blocking me a lot from, from overcoming it. And like, as I sit here and I said to you the other day, like I'm far from cured and you know, there may not, like I sort of, it, for me, where I've wanted to get with OCD and my mental health if, is I wanted to get to a point where it, I can control it enough to not let it affect the things that I want to do with my life, um, where I want to be, where I want to go, um, and what I want to achieve, you know, because uh, as another example, like my best friend since, since year two, you know, that I'm still best mates with to this day, his wife had a baby and I wanted nothing more. The real Jamie, not the OCD Jamie, the real me mm. wanted to be in there holding her hand and seeing their baby and high-fiving my friend. But the OCD Jamie was inside my head saying, you cannot go to a hospital. You know, if you go to that hospital, as soon as you walk in, what you're going to be like touching and breathing and then when you're at the room, you're going to touch this and you're not going to be able to cope with it. And you're going to spend the next month trying to decontaminate and you're going to throw out your favorite clothes because they touch the, you know, something on the way in there or the way out, no matter what you do. Like that's the, the, the monster in your head mm. that just constantly tells you that you can't do things and you need to avoid. And like I've only cried probably twice, maybe three times in my life. And that was one thing that just brought me to tears because I couldn't work like the 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 shit ocd monster in my head was stronger than the real jamie loving best friend that wanted to be there for his mate and like it makes me a bit emotional now thinking about it because like it's something that i was ashamed of at the time 
and it was embarrassing. You know, anyone would be like, and that's what I mean about the perception from other people on, of, of who you are. Anyone that saw that would have been like, what a fuck with it. Didn't go and see his best mate when he had a baby. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it, But for me, I was literally crying because I wanted to go so much, but I couldn't. I, I didn't have the strength to fight this fucking monster in my head that was like, you're going to die and you're going to, if you go in that hospital, you're going to die, you're going to get a disease and this is going to happen. Like all these crazy thoughts going through my head and I couldn't deal with it. And that was a really like tough part of, you know, part of, yeah, that was one of the toughest things for me to think of because I was so ashamed and so like embarrassed. You know, even even friends that I know would be like, you know, I can't believe you didn't go and see, you know, you made in hospital and this and that, and and I wanted nothing more than to be there. Um, and I, I guess for just to break it down real quickly, Jamie, what were what we kind of talked about there? There's there's a lot of like powerful points, and then let me know what you think about what I got out of that, but I guess from the point of view of someone who's not suffering from OCD or more broadly from uh, anxiety, uh, for them looking into the situation, the encouragement there really is to, to dig a little bit deeper when you see something like this happening, especially to a friend or a family member or someone that you know, and you see a situation like this unfold, chances are like there is something deeper going on there, right? So if a friend of yours had who didn't know you were suffering from OCD was able to look and be like, wow, like this doesn't sound like Jamie, like what's going on here. And they were to sit there and to just ask like, Hey bro, like, are you okay? Like what's going on? This, this doesn't seem like you that might actually uh, trigger you to kind of maybe speak more openly about it. And, and, and then that person can really understand and relate to you. Um, so from a, if you're out there listening to this podcast and you might have friends who, who you notice these kind of uh, things happening in their life, or you know that they may have some sort of uh, triggers for anxiety, just maybe don't, don't react straight away. Maybe just sit there and kind of try and understand, seek to understand what's actually going on and ask a few more questions like, Hey, like, are you doing okay? Like, do you want to, do you mm. want to talk about it? And maybe they don't want to talk about it and maybe that's okay. But just being willing to try and understand a situation instead of to just react based on, you know, your opinions and your thoughts is really going to help someone like that in that situation. And I guess to, to break down what you said about the course, and I think it's so powerful what you're doing, bro. And big ups to you for doing it. Like it must be terrifying at times, but what you're doing essentially there is to, to put it into a metaphor is instead of putting the bandaid on and, and temporarily fixing the problem, like, you know, asking your girlfriend to wipe down the bag where you turn away so that the monster doesn't see by actually facing that monster and dealing with these days and weeks and maybe sometimes even a month of this dropping anxiety curve. What you're doing there is you're telling yourself each time this happens, like I am in control. Like Jamie Val is in control here. Like, you know, monster, you don't have to rule my life. Like I can take control. Is that kind of pretty accurate? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, it's 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 super accurate. And I guess, like, we also talked the other day, which is probably important to touch on too, is that you were saying to me at the start of our at the start of our conversation the other day, you said, "Oh, it's 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 interesting how people with mental health issues 
sort of gravitate towards other people with mental health issues. And I remembered like you also said after that, you were like, but it was probably more important like that they gravitate towards other people like that can help them and not sort of drag them down, I guess, you know, it, does that make any sense? Like we talked yeah. about, yeah, you know, for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm lucky because my girlfriend doesn't have a mental health issue that I do. So I have someone to bounce back on and be like, she can be like, okay, well, we need to stop that or we need to stop this. But if she had OCD, <laughs> she'd be like, and I've hung out with people with OCD too, and it's like a disaster. They'd be like, oh, I didn't think about that. You're right. If you did touch that and then that, and then that person touched that and they handed it to them and then it came back to you, it's contempt. Like, it's like putting too crazy, like, it gets way, way worse. I'm not saying that. You defeat the monster, essentially. I'm not saying that people with OCD are, are crazy because I'm one of them, but I'm saying that if you put people with the same problems in the same room, it's not going to help. And I think, so you were quite valid in saying that the other day, like, oh yeah, it's better for people that struggle with mental health to maybe surround themselves with the people that don't have the issues they do or that, you know, can that they can bounce back and forth on and see what, you know, to get advice and things. But at the same time, I also said to you the other day that the reason why I guess a lot of people hang out with other people that have mental health issues is because they understand yeah, and they get, and I was also sort of explaining to you the other day that if I didn't have what I have like OCD and I didn't know what I know and I haven't done the research that I've done, I wouldn't understand it at all. I would see this interview as another person and listen to you and I talking and be like, wow, that guy's, Fucking, <laughs> <some serious. laughs> you know, like I, that guy. That guy the you... song before he goes to the toilet. What the fuck? <laughs> What's that? That guy sings boom boom before he goes to the toilet. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, no, like, uh, yeah. I was explaining to you the other day that if you don't have a mental health problem, yeah, it's very hard to understand. It's very hard to understand it. Like, how can you if you yeah. if you don't uh, if you don't experience it there's no way of explaining it so yeah. it's just like unless you're inside and i said to my girlfriend when we've had huge fights about it because i've done something you know that stresses her out and you know you said props to me before for doing this interview but i also said to you in the pre-interview the other day the biggest props should go to people's partners with with mental health issues because they cop it like you know bad and it's all these things that she wants to do that she can't because I can't do them because they, you know, affect me so much and all the places I avoid and the people that I avoid because of things that have happened that give me anxiety and all these things. And, you know, when I'm at my worst with anxiety, you know, you can be snappy and you can take it out on the people that are closest to you. And man, like the strongest people in this situation are the people that stick by you you know your family and your friends and and your partners and they cop a, a pretty shit deal and i think that's been another sort of key driving force for me to work on myself is that i've been with her for three years and the first two years of us traveling 
with me and my problem. Imagine traveling through like back streets of Mexico and stuff when you've got my issues. Mm. It was so stressful on her and things that didn't need to be stressful, like people that normally travel just like squish their shoes up and throw them in their bag or whatever. But I cannot pick up my shoes. I can't touch my shoes. Mm. So, you know, imagine me trying to pack a bag or like do anything or use a public toilet when I'm traveling, which I like. It's just the stuff that she went through and I guess what I'm trying to say is a driving force for me to get better and I've said it to her openly I'm like I actually want to get uh, like sometimes I want to get better to reward you for being with me this whole time and 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 live a semi-normal you know life with you that you can be like wow I'm, I'm with the real Jamie now I'm not the difficult monster one you know, because that monster is like, it's there 24 hours a day and it's, and it pops its head in and out and it's not nice to, um, it's not nice to be around for a partner. Mm. Um, and luckily for me, like there's so many mental health issues out there, but luckily for me, my one is like, and that's another thing in sometimes, like I look at everything as the glass always full and it's like, for me, I sometimes sit back and say, all right, I struggle with these things every day and you know, it's hard, but I also, I'm not hurting anyone um, physically. I'm not trying to hurt anyone mentally. I can control myself. I can, um, you know, I'm not hurting myself or others where there might be mental health issues. You know, there's stuff out there where like people have other issues that can cause harm to themselves and others and stuff like that. So sometimes you've got to always put yourself in a position too where you're like, well, okay, I'm, I know I'm, I've got these problems, but still I'm lucky. Um, because, and, and like, I guarantee you, even if you were one of those people that had mental issues to a point, you know, you had mental health problems that you might harm yourself or others. I guarantee you, even in their position, there is something that they can think of with a glass half full approach that would help them also mm. even as simple as like, okay, I have these problems, but you know, out of the million sperms that were, <laughs> you, you know, involved when my parents had sex, I'm the one that got through, you know, I'm on the planet and I'm alive and I'm still lucky to even be here, even though I have these problems and, you know, so let me use that to like help myself and to live a good life. And, you know, there's always something you can you can say. There's always yeah. a way to look at things, you know, that are going to help you get through to the other side. And it's very important that you that you do that. Um, and some people struggle to do that as well, you know. So, like, I guess that's been a big help for me to look at the glass half full approach to try and manage my mental health to a point where my girlfriend can be like damn i'm glad i stuck through him with all this because now we're traveling around and he's throwing his shoes in his bag and we're cruising to the beach and it doesn't take two hours if he needs to find a bathroom somewhere and mm. decontaminate and all this i want to make it worthwhile for her which is yeah. which is really like a driving force for me but that doesn't have to be a driving force people need to find their own reasons and their own and their own like validation for wanting to get better. Yeah. And there's always, you know, if someone doesn't have a partner, then there's going to be a million other reasons why they can get better as well. You know, it might be a career that they want that they can't do because they have this problem. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and like I've been through it all. I've lost girlfriends. I've lost jobs. I've lost friends. I literally can't go to all my favorite places because while I've been at them, I've seen something dirty and I haven't been able to go back to them. And it sucks because I'm like, oh, I just want to be in that place now because I love it. But I saw this there and I, my anxiety is too much now when I go there because I know exactly where I saw that thing. And we we're, were talking the other day about that nightclub that I, I, you know, I've been a DJ my whole life and there's a specific club in a pretty hectic part of the city in Melbourne. And, you know, when you're playing house music and stuff, all the cool clubs are in like King's Cross of Sydney or, you know, f- where's the Melbourne? It's like the that sort of King Street, King Street end of Flinders Lane and like the areas that are quite grimy, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, my favourite club, I, like, I love to DJ it each week. I'd come in one week and I'd see like vomit on the ground on the left side of the front door in the garter as I'm walking in. And then like I, I was telling you also in our pre sort of talk that, you know, in, in this situation, your mind's sort of always in fight or flight mode and you're kind of like the Terminator. Like when you walk into <laughs> rooms, you scan things for like germs and situations and you also remember everything. Yeah. So every time I go to the club, I remember exactly the footprint of that spew, like where it was, how long ago, all of it and it's crazy because and then the next week I went to the club and someone had like vomited on the other side of the door and then you know so I'd have to walk straight through the door sideways because if I walked normally I would have stepped in either part of where it used to be even though someone's cleaned it like my terminator mind knows where it was and what happened and then you know (laughs) was quite funny because someone went into the alley and took a shit up against the window like at some point oh my god yeah so that like everyone was joking one late night because the manager of the bar had to get a mop and like you know um deal with and stuff but then then i then i couldn't walk down that side of the club and even if i was inside the club on the clean side of the window i couldn't even go over where that was near the bar because like that's how much it affected me so there's a security guard we're talking about the other day and i won't like name any names but he's you know how I said I can hide it from everyone unless they're living with me or like or like dating me or whatever. Like I can hide it, right? But I couldn't hide it from him because there became a point where I literally had to turn sideways to walk in the door of the club. And, mate, the door is like a garage door width. So if you see someone always walk sideways in the exact like line every day and if someone's like – and if there was like a line of people waiting to get in and they were in that skinny part that I wanted to walk through – even if I was like late to DJ, I'd have to like wait because I couldn't walk beside them in the dirty parts. <laughs> and he would see it and he would see me do this, like walking sideways. And then when I crossed the street, I'd have to jump over this drain where, where another, where someone else spewed and I'd have to like run and jump over it. <laughs> so every, every night when I like walked in, I would walk in sideways. And then when I said bye at the end of the night, he'd go to the other security guards. And sometimes I heard him go like watch this watch this to like the other security guard and like they would like laugh because i'd take a running jump to get over this drain to get onto the road and then on the other side of the road there was like more dirty shit that i'd seen in the past so i'd have to like hopscotch through that mm-hmm. and they would like laugh and watch me leave the club like every night being hysterics because they're like what why do you do this shit and i had to come clean with him because he's just like thinking that i'm you know yeah, but- I had to explain it to him and he's like, oh, damn, it makes sense now. I'm sorry for laughing. 
yeah, yeah. That, that's <laughs> so, powerful, right? That's that's powerful. That goes back to what we're what we've been kind of discussing for the past um, past ten to twenty minutes. Is just like when you actually take a moment to try and understand someone, you can you can see, you know, maybe this person isn't just weird. Maybe they're doing this because they are actually suffering from some mm. sort of mental illness and. Like you said, that security guard, although like we are laughing right now and it is pretty funny to look back on it, right? For both of us. At mm. the same time, it's pretty serious, right? Because like for a lot of people, yourself included, this is a serious ritual that you have to go through. And it is something that affects like what you do on a day to day and the things you can do with people that you love, like your girlfriend. So it is as as a person who knows you now. And as, as a person who might know other people that are anxious or have OCD or even have depression, if you're listening right now, like just really try to understand because although sometimes like this is funny looking back on it, it might not be funny at the time, right? And for you to just uh, to, to actually stand there and ask that person, hey, like, why are you doing this? Like the security guard did to you. That mm. might help you really understand them and help them in some way instead of, alienating them further and making them feel more weird and less likely to actually want to do something. But anyway, Jamie, I, I wanted to kind of move into maybe diving into some of the tools that have helped you. So we, we talked before about, um, about the course, uh, this way up. Um, and also I think you're kind of touching on there before when you were talking about your girlfriend, how like having these ideas and reasons for why you want to be better has really helped. So could you maybe share some of the tools you've used, maybe talking about that list of reasons that we've discussed before, and maybe a little bit more about the course as well? Yeah, okay, that's that's good. Like one, yeah, so um, a big part of, I think it was lesson one of this course when it asked you to write down, and this also helps when you're writing down and things are, things are put in front of you and you can read them back and look, look at them and examine them. Um, that's why I, I guess, you know, a lot of people get a lot out of journaling and a lot of, out of other things. Cause you can like read them as in you're another person as well and be like, Oh wow. So I re- I wrote down my reasons for not wanting to have OCD and not wanting to have my anxiety problems. And there was pages and pages of reasons. Like I could go on forever lost relationships, best friends that I can't hang out with because, you know, their shoes touch something one day and I'm too embarrassed to, to like tell them not to wear their shoes when I hang out with them. So therefore I just avoid hanging out with them. And that's embarrassing too, because you don't want to try and control other people. That's a big problem with OCDs. You don't want to tell other people how to live their life. And if that's their favorite shoes, favorite pair of shoes, they've got every right to wear their favorite pair of shoes because you're the only one that's suffering they don't care what they've walked near or whatever so um the big thing is recognizing that it's your problem you know you're the issue not everyone else like they have a right to live their life the way they want to live it um and you're the one that needs to be able to deal with that um so the list was huge you know places that i continuously avoid which i want to go to them people that i avoid um anxiety that i get Different, thing, different things I want to touch, which I can't. Um, favorite clothes that I used to wear every day, which I still want to wear, which I can't because they touch something else. Um, you know, like I said, couldn't see my best friend in hospital when he had a baby. 
uh, the other day. We didn't sort of finish that story about the girlfriend, but we were, we left the house at four, which is like an hour after three where she wanted to go because she said, I can't enable you anymore. You're going to have to sort this out yourself. And I'm like, but I have to like put gloves on and then I'll have to wipe it myself. And if I wipe it myself, I'll be really meticulous. So I'll have to do the whole bag, which will take an hour to do. Then I have to wash my hands for like half an hour. And then, you know, and she's like, I know, I know you have to do all these things, but I can't keep enabling you for short-term success. Um, if you want to get better, you need to sit with the anxiety, you need to sit with these things and you need to see that over time they go down and realize that you can cope with them. And that's the whole point. You do get through them in the end and you can cope. And once you see over and over again that you can cope, then it starts to get easier and easier and your anxiety starts to go down and down, right? And it makes sense. But as a person dealing with that, and, and I can tell you that now, like I can be an expert on it because I've been reading about it and done a million courses and seen a million people. But for some reason, I can't understand that part of my brain that still does it. Um, so, you know, the other day, that's what we did. She was like, I don't, I know we're going to be an hour late, but you need to deal with this. And I did. And I put, you know, I put everything into place that I needed to do and wiped it all down and then washed my hands forever. And then when I was even, what did, and, and it's a chain reaction of things because when I was washing my hands, the soap from my hands splashed onto my feet. So then I was like, shit, now I've got to get in the shower and wash my feet. Mm. But normal people would be like, hey, like she said to me at the time, it's soap, it's on your hands, it's soap, it's not dirty. And I'm like, yeah, but it's the soap mixed with the stuff from the bag that's also on my hands and now it's on my feet, mm. you know. And it just goes on and on and on. And if you don't try and stop it somewhere in the beginning, it will go forever. Yeah. Um, you'll always find something that it's touched or, you know, so... I guess the powerful thing for me was to to write down the the pages and pages of things on why I don't want it, and then I wrote down the next question was what what are the reasons to to keep it? What are the reasons to keep your OCD and and live the way you you want now? And let's compare these reasons to all the reasons why you don't want to suffer this this mental illness anymore. And I didn't even have to think about it. I just wrote a big fat none in capitals. Like there's not a single reason why I would want to live like this. It's a complete waste of time. It's embarrassing. It's cost me heaps of money in therapists and courses and all the shit that I've done. There is not a single reason. Um, and I guess we also touched the other day on you know, somebody once said to me, oh, you know, you do it for a, you know, I've, only one person's ever said this to me, but it was really frustrating because they were like, you don't want to help yourself. That's why I get shitty with you. And you, what are you doing it for attention or something? And I was like, oh, I just, I was so blown away from it. And I had to sit down with them and be like, think about all the shit that I do and think about how much time it takes me and how much money I spend and how much anxiety I go through and how many relationships I've lost. And all the, like I said, the clothes I can't wear that are my favorite and the places I avoid and tell me why the hell I would do that. Like there's no amount of attention in the world that would want to make someone live like that. It's horrible. Um, and then he was like, oh, okay, I, I get it now. But, and that's again what we're talking about before. Like when you don't re realize the true reason why people are doing things, you can't 
you don't understand and things appear to be very different. You're like, oh, that person did that. What a dick. But there's always like, there's always a reason why people do things. And that's why we talked, we talked the other day about how, how like good it is in the last, what I think you gave me some statistics. It was like 10 years or something that people have actually started talking about mental health because before then, no, no one talked about it, especially males. Like like you're a pussy if you if you if you talk about mental health or problems or or man up or suck it up or do this or you know all these sayings and all this stuff and it's um now you've got people like good a good mate of mine uh rob mills does the are you okay day he's like the ambassador you've got like predominant like good good people in society coming out and and talking about it and yourself with this podcast and it makes it easier for the people that are suffering to, to know that people are like, you know, mm. that, that they get it. And, and, and you don't need to, you don't need to understand any of these mental health issues or problems at all to be like, are you okay to your mate? Or do you want to talk? Or, Hey, what's going on? Or, Hey, I noticed that you did that super weird thing the other day. Like, yeah, I've never seen anyone do that. Is there a reason why he did that? Mm. Instead of just being like, oh, what a dick, because he did that. Mm. Um, I think now more than ever, people are taking the time to sort of take a step back and be like, whatever doesn't make sense, let's ask the question. Um, why'd you do that? You know, whereas back in the day, people just would jump to the conclusion straight away of like, oh, I'll never hang out with that person again because they did this and they're a dick or and I guess that's why I'm so empathetic towards people with all kinds of issues. You know, when I used to walk to my gigs in the city, in those grimy places of the city, there's a lot of people around that are struggling and, you know, and um, like some stuff has happened to those people. People don't choose to just go and hang on the streets and do drugs and, and live that lifestyle. Like who wants to do that? Mm. So, you know, it's it's like we could talk about it forever it's it's just like a never-ending topic but um i guess the takeout was yeah when i wrote down that massive list it was huge all the reasons why i didn't want to live and and just as a just as someone would write when they're living on the streets hey what what are all the reasons you know why you don't want to live on the streets oh yeah because actually i want to be healthy and eat healthy food and eat food at all to that point and I want to have a shower every now and then and I'd love to be warm at night. Like there's so what are the reasons that you want to live on the street? Do you think that have any, it's like, no, like people, people are like not choosing to be in these positions. Um, and I think it's cool that people are, are getting it now. People are understanding and they're like wanting to at least ask the question. People don't need to understand everything and everyone. It'd take you a lifetime to understand even a handful of people. Um, yeah. So that's not what needs to be done. What needs to be done is just like, yeah, just asking the question and, and being there could could change somebody's life or to a point could save somebody's life too, you know, especially people that are suffering from depression. A simple question could um, could could save their life. So, uh, yeah, I think that, that was um, a big reason why I was, sucking it up too to come on here and be like well you know what 
people are probably going to think I'm weird or whatever and, you know, and be freaked out that they've never noticed this side of me and now it's out there and I can't take it down because it's on the internet. And <laughs> I even thought about, that, like, I'm creating my own record label now as well, which which is going to be my my job because, like, I haven't DJed in forever because of the lockdowns and corona and everything that's going on and i've always wanted my own record label so i took the glass half full approach during lockdown and went okay cool it's time to create this record label and help other artists and djs and musicians by signing their music and trying to get it on beatport and itunes and mm. spotify and maybe we can we can all work together here and still get our craft and our art out there you know let's take the let's take it on now's the perfect time mm. um and i was scared that doing this would make artists not want to like sign their records with my label because they'll think i'm a weirdo or something you know like so many things went through my head mm. but at the end of the day like i said to you before even if a few people like watched it or listened to it and went fuck you know there's mm. that yeah like there's someone out there that that's I had no idea it was like that and and I'm like that too. Like it's going to help. I think that would help people. 100%. Um, 100%. And I've just got a, a, a few things just to I – think, I think might clear up some of the points you just said there in terms of like an individual who's suffering from uh, OCD or anxiety or any sort of mental illness. A couple of things that you can do even today is um, – like you said, you've got to take an element of responsibility for wanting to change, right? Right. Like you've got to, you've got to take that element of responsibility to start taking action towards uh, a, a somewhat of a solution, right? And that solution might not be being cured in, in, in quotes. It could just be learning to live with what you have in a way that is more joyful than, than where you are now. And by doing things like, writing down all of those reasons and all of the people that you want to change for and that you want to get better for is so powerful because when you see what you want inside your head, like that shit is like really motivating as it has been for you. And I guess for people outside of that um, bracket where they're not really suffering from mental health, but they have people in their lives that maybe, and they don't really understand simple things like being em empathetic and trying to understand someone, like you said, asking those questions is going to be unbelievably powerful. And like you said, you might actually just save a life by smiling at mm -hmm. someone and asking if they're okay. That person might be thinking about killing themselves further in the day, you know, like just yeah. by being caring and kind and empathetic, you might save that person's life. You just don't know. And the other thing that I would add to that, Jamie is, don't take things so personally, you know, like I, I find a lot of my friends when they're having a conversation with someone who might be going through a tough time, if, if that person says, look, I don't want to talk right now, or like, I just need to face this myself. Don't take it personally, man. Like, <laughs> just chill out. Like, this isn't your problem. You're, you're asking someone else if they're okay, right? Like, don't take it personally if they say, I don't want to talk about it. It's not about you. Yeah, I'm that's interesting. I, 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 like that's cool because I wasn't even I didn't even think about that like because I'm probably I would probably take it personally to be honest yeah, like too, but but it's it's so um, much better for that person to just be like okay cool like you're going through some stuff whenever you're ready to talk I'm here to talk and that's hard too as a friend because sometimes for me it's hard when I talk to my friends that have got issues and I told my friend this the other day um, because he's going through some problems. I'm like, I'm the type of person that 
likes to help like with a solution otherwise i just feel like nothing's come out of it i'm like let's find a solution but sometimes there's no clear-cut solution that you can find right there and then or it might take a while or there's like 10 steps or 100 steps that need to come before that like solution and that's hard too to be like like you said if someone's like i don't want to talk about it right now especially for me i find that hard because i'm like well no i want to i want to find a solution for you i hate seeing you like this but it it takes sort of power too to be like okay cool well when you're ready i'm here and then not so and then not get anxious yourself you know because you can't help them so um so and you and the, the thing that you said before couldn't have been like you couldn't have hit the nail on the head more with um with sometimes you might need to admit to yourself and it took me a long time to realize this that i may never not have ocd i may never completely not have ocd and like it's it's cool to be open to the fact that i also could completely be cured and never think about another ocd thought again but the reality is i've had it for my whole life and you know i'm getting pretty old now and it's um it's something that's pretty hard to like just cure or get rid of so my goals are to get it to a point where, like I said, I can just function and not avoid the people I love and not avoid the places I want to go and, and not avoid that one nightclub that's my favourite place to play, but I've got no other. Unless you drop me in there on a helicopter and take the roof off, there's no <laughs> clean ground to walk in there. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. like it's just they're just things I want to do. So for me, that would be my success to be able to walk in there and do that gig or, or see my best mate again, or go into the hospital and my best friend has his another baby. So that's not necessarily being cured. That's just being like getting to a point that I can manage and that, that I'm happy. And it took me a long time to realize that because I was always looking for a quick fix and a solution and to be cured. Mm. And sometimes it takes a bit of the pressure off people that suffer you know with a mental illness for them if they can realize you know like okay maybe i'll never be cured but what are my goals what do i actually what can i get to and then more than likely you may get there because of that newfound what's the word for it that newfound um purpose i guess yeah like like uh motivation because you're like okay shouldn't be too hard to like go into the hospital with my friend and you get there and what comes next once you've done that like naturally you might you'll go further Mm. and you know so sometimes you can sort of for me it was always hard because i was looking for a cure Mm. i was like i must not have ocd that's my goal it's my goal here and i just kept hitting roadblocks because there's no like cure for it overnight um so then i started setting things up like actually forget about the cure right now what i want to do i want to do this this and this let's let's work towards that um so that's cool like what you said before for me like was was yeah it was insane because like i came to that realization when i was in america like two years ago i sat back with a buddy of mine and we're like shit i may never be cured from this thing maybe i should look at it in a different angle like what do I want to do? What businesses do I want to have? 
where do I want to go? Like, let's just work towards those things um, and see what happens. Yeah, and I guess so, with that whole metaphor with the monster, right, it's it's not about destroying the monster. It's about realizing that the monster's there, but the monster's not in control. Like, you can be the one who's in control, right? Like, sure, it's going to, like, pop up every now and again and be a pest and be a nuisance, but I guess the goal is more to realize that you're in charge, right? Like, the monster's not in charge anymore. Yeah, 100%, because there's... There's certain mental illnesses, right, where, you know, even more difficult, like, they're way more difficult than as life debilitating as it is, what I go through, I still get things done. Um, at this point in my life, I'm getting things done. At another point in my life when I couldn't leave the house, which I told you about the other day, there was there was years where I couldn't even go outside. So there goes everything. There goes a career, friends, girlfriends. Um, that's very debilitating. but there is other forms of mental illness um, where it may be, you know, if it's a chemical imbalance or if it's something that you literally, you know, they do, I mean, there's drugs and stuff for that stuff now, like um, which is also part of OCD and anxiety. There's certain drugs that are prescribed that can help. Um, But I've tried to do it without them uh, and you can do it without them. It's sort of, it's a personal thing. Um, but I mean, I guess the point I'm trying to make is there, there, there's other mental illnesses that you may not be able to cure. Like it just, it's how the person's wired. Uh, it's, it's no fault of their own or anyone else's. It's a chemical imbalance that maybe even drugs can't fix. Mm. Um, so if that person can have the, uh, can be encouraged and understood to a point where they can still, live their life and be happy, then that's a win. Like, you know, what else can they do? You know, if that's the only, if they're they're never going to be able to cure it, at least they can get to a point where they're happy because everyone just wants to live happy. You know, that's the, that's the goal here. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's exactly, it's a long winded thing. I ramble for a while, but it's a long winded way of saying exactly what you just said. Like the monster may always be there. But as long as you can find a way to control it so that you can be happy and people around you can be happy and you're not hurting anyone or doing anything that's, you know, affecting other people, then you're ticking, you know, you're kicking goals and you're ticking boxes there because, yeah, like what else can you do? Yeah, 100%, man. I think that's such a fantastic way to um, kind of end that discussion on anxiety and and OCD and man thank you so much like th- this is super powerful uh, but I guess I do this thing at the uh, at the end of every podcast I don't know if you've heard a couple of them um, it's called the four and one uh, so basically what it is is I ask you four questions and you get to ask me one um, and then at the end of that you can uh, maybe talk a little bit about Jamie Vale the musician and a couple of places people can follow you and you you mentioned you're starting a record label um, and maybe also places where people can just approach you from uh, in terms of the mental health topic and just reach out and say, hey, like, I really love the podcast. Thank you so much, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I know you've, you've got these questions written down in front of you, and I wish that I had, a, like, researched a really fucked up question to ask you. Because now while I'm answering your questions, my, the back of my mind is trying to think of <laughs> a fucked up question. 
So, yeah, I should probably start sending out little, little packs to people so they can prepare and ask a really ridiculous question because I'm all about the really ridiculous yeah. questions. Because I heard, I heard the ones that you did with Polo and I was like, and, I, and it should have triggered me to be ready for this, but I'm like, now I've got to think of a question. <laughs> That's cool. Anyway, let's, um, let's move into it. So you ready for the first question? Yeah. So this, one's a, this one's not a, a crazy weird one, but it's, I guess, relatively deep. Considering everything we've kind of discussed uh, today, what are you most excited for over the next 12 months? Mm. Um, I think something that I touched on earlier in the, in the podcast was I'm most excited to help myself to a point where my girlfriend gets what she needs and deserves from a relationship and a partner. So I stop, you know, wasting time and stressing her out because of my own issues. Like what excites me is being able to get to a point so that the three, you know, two or three years that we've been together is worth it for her. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes total sense, man. That's powerful. My heart definitely melted a little bit there. (laughs) (laughs) Cute, cute moment. Yeah. Uh, second question. So if you had to play one song on repeat for an hour while you're mixing in a club, would it be Horses or Gimme Gimme? You 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 must have done some research because <laughs> everyone that knows me knows I fucking hate horses. Like <laughs> To a point where people would just randomly text me like every six months, just horses in a text message, and I like <laughs> throw my like I fucking hate that that song so much that it's pretty obvious what my answer would be. So it's giving um, me. Yeah, I mean, I don't like either of those songs. I hate horses so much that any track actually on the planet in that question would win. Besides. <laughs> That's a great answer, man. I tell you what. I don't know why I so much. I think I think like I think I must have done some gigs at like the races, Melbourne Cup, and all these places where like idiots would just one after another come up and giggle and go, hey, "You play horses?" Because we we're at the horse races, and I was just <laughs> like, "Fuck!" Like something happened which deeply scarred me about that song. I, I don't know exactly what it was, but yeah, I hate it. So give me, <laughs> give me. I don't think you're the only one. My brother hates that song too. And almost every DJ I've talked to actually hates that song. But on yeah. the on the gimme gimme note, I guarantee you when Melbourne opens up again, there is gonna be some crazy motherfuckers going ape shit on the dance floor when gimme gimme comes on. Can you imagine? Gimme, gimme, gimme a man. <laughs> Just everyone's going nuts. Oh man. Uh anyway, next question, bro. This one's a yeah. bit of a bit of a feels one. Um Obviously, mm. people kind of know now you're a musician, you're starting your own record label, you've been a musician for many years, um, which kind of feeds your creative joys, I guess. Mm. I want to know the two most inspirational inspirational musicians who have influenced and inspired you the most. The two? Two of. Wow. You know, like... Uh... It's it's cool because I can answer that straight away. And I struggled, I think, writing music. Um, writing music, well, 
I've been DJing for 26 years, mm. but I've been writing music for about 10. And um, well, actually, no, I've been writing music for 26 years, the same length as DJing, but it was a different style of music. I grew up in bands like playing, you know, Blink-182 and Silverchair growing up, like playing guitar and singing and stuff. And I didn't get into DJing and, and danced music and producing house music until like year 12 in high school sort of thing. So um, I guess for as long as I've been writing house music, I've always looked for some sort of role model or some sort of thing that can like enrich my passion and help me find my groove and my sound and stuff. And I really struggled to find that. Um, and I think when you're writing music as a producer, if you, if you don't find some sort of passion or something like that, it's hard to find your groove and your sound. Um, so easily the two for me would be Rufus to soul, which are Aussie guys. Um, and I first met them in Sydney when, before they were massive, like they're huge now. Um, but I first met them when I was working for Red Bull and DJing for Red Bull and I was doing a gig at this new venue in Sydney and I rocked up early, which I never do. So I'm glad I did this day and they were playing on this stage and I was so blown away. I was just like, fuck, like their, their music really hit me in the feels like no one else's music had ever since I'd been trying to produce house music. Uh, I was always trying to produce bangers or the big drop, all this stuff. And then I heard their stuff and I'm just like finally realized that that wasn't for me, what I was trying to do, what, what was for me is like, and that's exactly what I wanted to do through this record label is produce music that you can feel as much as you can hear. And that's like, that's my thing. That's what I write. Like if you get goosebumps or you feel, or you want to cry or you're happy, I don't care what you feel when you listen to the music that will be released on my label as long as you can feel something. And that's kind of like how I'm going to road test every release. I'm going to listen to it and people send me tunes and, I'm, and if I feel something, then it's fucking in. We're doing it. If I don't feel anything, then it's out. Like that's, that's how we road test our stuff with the label. Mm. And for me, I really felt something, you know, the inner bloom, I know as cliche as it is because everyone sort of feels something. That's the one song where everyone's like, oh my God, and people are crying in the crowds and stuff. But, I used to play that track as my last track at every set when I was playing down in Melbourne. Like I, I love the vibe of that song and that's the kind of stuff that I strive to sort of create, not that exact sound, but that, that feeling mm. that you get, like that emotion that you can evoke in people just through music, you know? Uh, and that's important to me. So Rufus were a, were a massive one and, and I was lucky enough to like get to know them personally because at the time at Red Bull, one of my jobs besides DJing there was running this opinion leader program where you like found up and coming artists and help them grow their um, career and sort of what do you need, you know, what tools do you need at like they were pretty young at the time and what can we help, um, you know, and it's not, they were so cool too. They were like, well, we're our own people. We don't want like Red Bull branding on any of our stuff. We don't want this. And I was like sick because a lot of people would be like, ah, oh, Red Bull's got some money. Just give us this and that. But they wanted help in ways which were really cool. Like one of the things we ended up doing was helping them find this house to record their first album. 
Mm. And they were like, we just want to go away from everybody and everything down the South Coast. And we found this beautiful old house where they set the studio up and recorded this album. So, like, no one would have known that they did that with Red Bull because we didn't brand anything. You know what I mean? It was just a a love of music and a connection. And it was such a such a cool, like, it was so cool the way all that came Amazing. together. And for me, I... Yeah, I got to meet them and hang out with them and, you know, they got to do their thing without having to be, like, involved with a brand and stuff, you know. So um, props to Red Bull and Rufus for both sticking to the, you know, sticking to their own, you know, I don't know what the word for it is. It just came together so smoothly. <laughs> yeah, but for yeah. those guys, I, st- I still every now and then will talk to John, one of the dudes in Rufus, and, like, they're a big inspiration for me um but the second one would be a person i've never met and i don't know them personally but and only in the last sort of years a guy called ben bomer out of germany Mm. um and purely because it's another person that uh and it's b-o-h-m-e-r um i'll link both of those in the in the show yeah and it's written, you know, with the little dots above the, you know, the O. Or so it's it's written a certain way. But um, he's like straight away when you hear his music, you just fucking get taken somewhere. You just like you, you can hear it, like the emotion in his music, the sounds he uses, and that really hits me in the feels when I listen to his stuff. And it's hard to find music like that because everyone gets a different feeling too with different. You know, rock music might do that to someone or house music might do that to someone. So it's very subjective. I'm not like some people might get a feeling of something and some people might not. Um, but for me, they're the artists that are really like, like I listen to their stuff every day. And yeah, like he did this live set the other day in a hot air balloon going over that famous place in Turkey. You know that you've probably heard uh, about it. Where- Cappadocia or something. Cap- Cappadocia, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was in a probably, hot air balloon. The, the name. <laughs> yeah, and it was sunrise, and this guy's playing this like emotional, you know. And I was just like, "Holy crap!" And if you've done any research into that guy, like one of his tunes in memor in memoriam, I think that's how you say it. Is that how you say that word? Memoriam. Memoriam. Um, <laughs> was about his. He wrote it when his dad died so you know it's no mistake that you can feel stuff in his music and it was very hard for him to play that particular song in interviews he talks about how he like struggled to even perform that song for a long time and that's for me that's just like i get goosebumps talking about like people that can put so much emotion into music like they're that's they're my heroes so that's what i'm trying to do with my own music and my own label Amazing, bro. And I want to check out the label that does a lot of that music, even though there will be my competition one day <laughs> when I finally get mine going. Big label that releases a lot of that music is uh, Anjuna Deep, that Ben Bomas, um, that he's released on. And Rufus DeSoul have their own uh, record label as well, which they're producing a lot of stuff that's similar to their style and their vibe. So... Yeah, if people want to check out that kind of music. 
Awesome. I'll, I'll link that stuff in the show notes as well. I might, might get those links off to you at the end. Um, that was amazing, dude. Um, yeah, Rufus to Soul is definitely one for me. Ben Bomer, I, I haven't heard much of, so I'll check that out for sure. If it's, if it's good, yeah. it feels all about it. No doubt Paolo's probably heard of it. So he'll, he'll, I think Paolo will really, will really like that stuff. I road test a lot of my tunes with Paolo. Sometimes I'll send him stuff I'm working on and he'll sort of tell me where it took him or how it made him feel. So, um, yeah, you'll enjoy that music. Awesome, man. And last question before uh, for you before you get a question for me. Uh, so this one's super deep, bro. Do you believe mm-hmm. in aliens and why? Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, fuck, that's a hard question. <laughs> I find it hard to believe that we're like the only ones, you know, in the galaxy. Um, but for me, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to believe something when you haven't seen it. Yeah, right. Um, and that's exactly why I talked to you earlier in the podcast about you can never expect people to understand mental health that haven't like been inside someone else's head, which is impossible or, 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 or have gone through that themselves in their own head. So it's a bit like that. How can they a believe it or understand it? And that's, what's cool about nowadays. People are trying to less understand it and more just be there for it and accept it and help people navigate their way through it. So I'd be a bit, yeah, I don't, I do find it hard to believe that we're the only ones here, but then again, I've never seen an alien. So how could I be like, yeah, hundred percent fucking they're there. So it's, that's why it's so hard. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I like hard to just believe in something nowadays with just this kind of, I think that we're going through a transition, right, where where people have gone away from spirituality so much. And because spirituality essentially in some aspects is believing in something, even though you have never seen it before, right? Like Christians believe there's a God, even if they've never seen a God before. Same with Hindu, yeah. same with, uh, you know, when you read the Quran or any sort of religious text. And one thing I'm finding as I'm meditating more and more is like, I do believe there's a much greater force in the universe. And I have no doubt there's probably some sort of, other life forms out there have i seen anything no but it's just powerful and makes me happy to believe in something greater than just this world yeah i think that comes from a feeling more than anything right like the feeling that you get meditate not what you're seeing or um yeah so that's what i was saying before like that's why i want to write music people can feel you know you don't even if you don't like the music as long as you can feel it and at the same time like how can you feel that an alien's out there <laughs> <laughs> i love so it I, so i get so i guess now if i'm going to be honest with you now maybe my answer is like well, i can't really feel the aliens and i can't see them so maybe i don't believe in them <laughs> sweet i love that we I don't know. answer <laughs> i don't know. I guess we'll go with that, but like I'm all, I'm always also open to like 
you got to be open to be proven wrong. True, true. When, when I see one, you'll be the first person that I'll call. And I've been like, we're having a barbecue tonight out in the middle of the paddock here. <laughs> uh, and we might see one. You know, it's pretty like Blair Witch Project around here. There's like <laughs> trees everywhere. It's pitch black and stuff. It'd be the, if I was going to see them, it would be. Actually, I thought I did see them last time I stayed at this farm because I stayed in this guest house down in the middle of the woods and there's all these just big gum trees and it's pitch black and then one night i woke up for no like no reason i just sort of sat up out of bed and i saw this huge flash of light through the whole forest the whole forest just lit up and then i was waiting to hear thunder or rain but nothing came and then the next day i said to my buddy that owns the property because he was in the main house i said you know like how do you explain that like there's no thunder or rain and then you know i was getting a bit like you know, well, maybe, the, you know, something happened, but then I didn't see any little green men, so I can't sit here and be like, <laughs> that's what it is. Sick. All right, bro, you get a question for me, and then uh, I'll get some social links off you so people can uh, follow your journey. And all of the social links uh, and the stuff we talked about with Rufus and Ben Bowman, and then also more on the topic, the This Way Up course will be in the show notes. So what's your question, bro? Yep. So one thing I've learned can't do and I never used to be able to do and females will remind us that we can't do this is multitask. Um, and the only reason why I, I, the only reason why I learned this is because I had to walk into rooms when I was DJing and like scan the room for like danger and dirty things and stuff that I was going to make me nervous. But at the same time, like mix a track and pretend everything was normal. And it was like, that's how I sort of learned to multitask. So the reason why I'm saying this is as you were asking me those five heavy questions that I had to answer, I was also in the back of my mind thinking about a heavy question for you. And I came up with one. <laughs> uh, and it is, why are you doing this podcast and what are you trying to achieve with this podcast or get out of it? Yeah, cool. I've actually been asked this question a few times. Um, so the, the answer is pretty easy for me now. Uh, mm -hmm. Why am I doing this podcast? Initially, it was self-healing when I went through uh, my own deep depression. But it soon became something much more because I realized that I actually got really, really fucking energized and pumped up and joyful when uh, people would message and say, hey, like this changed my life in some small way. So that is mm -hmm. the motivation behind it. And it will continue to be. Like I don't, I don't make money with this podcast right now and I'm sure in the future I will as things scale, but it's not the motivator, right? The motivator is just like, I really love having these conversations, learning, understanding. And then if even one person gets something out of it a month, like, man, I'm fired up to go for, for the following month. And what I want to achieve in a way, in a sense, I've already achieved it because what I want to achieve is to give people wings and roots, right? To give them the understanding that they are rooted in their own kind of um, self-love and self-awareness and principles and their own strengths, but also to give them wings by having conversations with people like yourself, people who inspire me, who who kind of show that it's okay to talk about your problems, but then it's also okay to find your own solutions, right, and empower yourself. So yeah. accomplishing it, and if it keeps going in scale, which it is, like, great. That's like icing on the cake, man. Sick. Yeah, pumped. <laughs> You sound like you've answered that a couple of times. 
Yeah, I have. Yeah, but. As soon as you said people have asked you it, I was like, God damn it, I was trying to like <laughs> I thought you were gonna ask about multitasking. No, I didn't you asked, yeah. That's it. Can you multitask? I choose not to because I feel like you're just not as focused when you're multitasking. Yeah. Yeah, I think men only multitask when they're forced to. <laughs> True that's that's like yeah that's the short answer to it like they wouldn't there's too much effort to, to do it for no reason isn't it <laughs> cool man this has been freaking awesome but um for anyone who's listened to uh the podcast where can they find out about you your record label um or just kind of follow your journey or maybe send you a message and say hey thanks or or a question or something yeah so it's pretty easy um my like my my stuff is just at Jamie Vale Music, um, you know J A M I E V A L E Music, and that's that that's for Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. So anyone can, it's open to public. So like anyone can message me on any of those platforms. Um, and my record label one's also easy. That's just at Flotilla Records. So F L O T I L A Records um yeah and i've just set up we're still in the early stages I, I think i'm about six weeks off launching the label and launching a first single um which i think will hit everyone in the fields i'm pretty stoked about our first track that we've done with a guy in the uk a really good vocalist um and i did it with a another melbourne producer so yeah hopefully about six weeks i've been working on the label for about 12 months just the back end of it um and it, there's just so much stuff to do and like yourself it's funny because like i can't foresee myself making any money <laughs> with the record label like i've i've got friends that own labels that are considered like you know the best labels in australia and they still don't make money so for me it's just having a creative outlet and writing music that makes people feel something and that's like purely it like i know i'm i'm not putting in any plan to make money with this label whatsoever so and you know um also sharing other people's music not only my own but everyone else that's like in lockdown there's just so much music being written by um by talented people and like <laughs> when lockdown's over look look out there's going to be a lot of music coming out yeah um and i think that's something we talked about the other day too but didn't touch during this podcast was like what I do for my mental health um, is write music. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's what I do every day. I write music eight hours a day and that helps me forget about something that I touched or why I'm anxious or what's going on. And for a lot of people I found and a lot of therapists I saw said it was like um, cardiovascular sort of heart pumping, huff, like huffing and puffing exercise because you're releasing all that tension and anxiety so a lot of people i think yourself like you remember you did that run thing mm. for like a whole year wasn't it yeah yeah run 365 run 365 and i was following you on that and like that was rain hail or shine right and yeah i i found that a lot of people get a lot out of exercise running and 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 you know cardiovascular exercise but mental health but because i'm so scared of gyms and touching equipment and 
sometimes even leaving the house, it's hard for me to do that. So I find my, what do you call it? Your escape or your outlet or your, you know, that's what it is for me is, is writing music. And that's, I think that's why my music's so emotional as well. Yeah. Because it's kind of like, um, it's how I'm feeling. So, yeah. Awesome, bro. I think that's an amazing way to end the podcast. So thank you so much for coming on. Like, uh, I really respect you for doing this. I got a lot out of it, so no doubt anyone listening is going to get a ton of, of goodness out of this. I hope so, man. Like, that's, yeah, that's, even if a couple of people can get something out of it, then it's worth it. So see how it goes. I'm a bit, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit scared of, like, everyone finding out how, how I am inside here. Yeah. But... Like I said, it's more important that some people can can feel like they're not alone and, and and if it helps anyone, then it's worth it. Thanks so much for tuning in to another Couple of Lattes podcast. If you enjoyed that episode, please share it with your friends. Make sure you, if you're using Apple Podcasts, that you leave a five-star rating and a review. Each of those ratings and reviews really helps with the algorithm and gets it out to more potential listeners. So if you have the time, would be greatly, greatly appreciated. If you want to know more about Jamie Vale, I've left all of his social media links and details in the description below this podcast. Um, so make sure you hit him up, send him a message, tell him how brave it was for him to share this. And if you just want to follow his journey as a musician and see what kind of music he creates, the kind of musicians he follows, then please, I do encourage. He's an incredible producer and I'm pumped to see what his record label puts out.